Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm Doug Sweeney here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. And we are coming to you again today from our shelter-in-place locations. We are grateful for the technology that enables us, of course, but we are longing for the day when we can be back together again in the Beeson Podcast Studio. Today's conversation will be the third episode in a three-part series about our 2020 issue of the Beeson Magazine. We hope you've checked the magazine out on our website, BeesonDivinity.com, and have enjoyed reading or maybe even in listening to some of the articles in our audio version. For we are furthering the theme of the magazine today, Being Human, as we talk with today's guests. Kristen, who are these wonderful Beeson alums we are featuring today on the podcast? Hello, everyone. These people are my friends. I'm so glad to have them on the show. We have a married couple, both who graduated from Beeson. We have James Anderson, uh, who earned an MDiv in 2019, a recent graduate. He is a chaplain at UAB Hospital here in Birmingham. And his wife, uh, Rebecca Graber Henderson, um, earned her MSTS. MSW in 2019 and is a mobile unit counselor for the Birmingham Crisis Center. And she's also an organ deacon in the Anglican Church in North America. So we are thrilled to have uh, our couple on the show today. And um, why don't you begin by giving us uh, an introduction into who you are individually and then also as a married couple. So I'm obviously Rebecca and I work at the crisis center, as you said, Kristen. I grew up in the church. I was baptized and confirmed in um, the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church uh, because my grandmother raised me. So she took me to church every week and I was able to grow up in that way, but really had a journey that exposed me to a lot of different denominations. Um, I've been a part of Christian Missionary Alliance, Southern Baptist, um, and some non-denom churches as well, but I really felt called to the Anglican Church right before I graduated, or before I started Beeson, um, one for the opportunity as a woman that I would have, and then also the global presence of the Anglican Church, especially as someone who felt called to work um, at that time in missions, and so I was encouraged by a college minister, also a Beeson alum, Joel Busby, to consider Beeson. Um, and for me, that was a big step in faith. The church is something I am obviously called to, but the church also has been, in my story, a big spot of woundedness um, to myself and to other people I really love. Um, and as someone who cares about um, gender violence, sexual violence, I've also seen how the church has failed in that way. Um, but I think God has called me to that because he wants his church to be his hands and feet. And he wants his church to be a place where people have been wounded can actually receive healing. So I can't run away from my mother, as Martin Luther would say. And so I'm here as an ordained deacon. And then I'll let James talk about his journey. 
Um, so I also was raised in the church. Um, I was the son of an Air Force officer, so my family moved around quite a bit. I came to faith at a pretty young age, had a conversion experience around age five, and then was baptized about a year later. And um, my dad is an ordained deacon in the Southern Baptist Convention, and so my faith has been pretty significant all throughout my life. I think it was in high school that I first started to really make my faith my own, though. Uh, but it didn't really develop beyond just recognizing that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Ministry was never really something that was on the table for me for quite a while um, until I got into college. And it was there that under one of my mentors who taught an Old Testament class that I began to realize the riches of the Christian tradition on just the, the beautiful depth of the Bible in a way that I had never experienced. And that sowed the beginning seeds for my interest in ministry, but it was even a few years after that, uh, where I had experienced a few closed doors in, in career avenues I was trying to pursue, that things finally came together and I ended up pursuing a call at Beeson. And I also explored through several different denominations. Part of the reason why I chose Beeson was because of the interdenominational emphasis we have here and the ability to learn from a variety of perspectives. James and Rebecca, you both have made wonderful contributions to this issue of Beeson Magazine that we mentioned in the intro to the show today. And we'd love to talk with both you, both of you about your contributions. It might be easier since we're on a, a virtual platform here if we kind of take you one by one. So we thought, maybe, James, if you don't mind, we'll begin with you uh, and ask you a few questions about the wonderful article that you wrote for this magazine. Uh, I have to say, it was, I thought it was very powerful. I, I love the piece. Thank you. Uh, you wrote a piece called Indispensable, discussing the humanity of people with disabilities. As we've said, uh, this issue is on what it means to be human. And uh, so your piece fit in very well. The title of your article came from 1 Corinthians 12. 22 through 24, where the Apostle Paul says that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So, James, why are people with disabilities indispensable? to the life of the church. And what do you think Paul's trying to teach us there in 1 Corinthians 12? A hard question, but also one that I love to talk about. In some ways, I think, without trying to be reductionistic, because the just the arena of disability is so vast and broad that it's hard to give any one particular answer to this question. I think in some ways, in many ways, um, individuals with disabilities serve as kind of the quiet prophets of the church. Um, they really embody or have the potential to embody what it means to be totally dependent upon God's love and grace. Um, when I think about the life of my brother and the unique joy he brings to our family, it's something that doesn't stand out amongst the crowd, isn't something that really catches the attention of a lot of people, and yet he has a unique ability to really be who God created him to be, unencumbered by pride in a way that is really difficult for me and I think a lot of other people. And I think in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, we see the, the church at Corinth is really clamoring over who has the flashiest gift, like who can speak in tongues, who can be the best prophet, who can preach the best, and it's all these gifts that really 
rise to the forefront of the church's attention. And while people with, in, with individuals with disabilities, like, certainly can want the limelight, my brother is a ham and loves to tell jokes and loves being in front of people, it, it's in a way that he, he models a type of being that is um, uniquely situated to love and to, like, to be an avenue of grace for other people. Because of his limitations, he is already living out a life that requires dependence upon someone else. And so I think that gives him unique opportunities to then model what dependence upon the Lord looks like to the rest of us. James, you've already uh, referenced your brother, David, and I uh, wonder if you could just share a little bit more about him. Uh, he has Down syndrome, and the, the article for the magazine is written from a very personal perspective. So perhaps you can tell us more about David, how he has helped you to think about the humanity of those with disabilities, and then um, maybe even mention what I think is one of the uh, best parts of your article is this video of your brother being baptized. It's yeah. really moving and beautiful. So I wonder if you could talk more about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so David is a, a typical guy who grew up in the 1990s. Uh, he loves video games. He's <laughs> quite great at them. Um, as I mentioned before, like he, he can be quite a ham. Um, when I first brought Rebecca home to meet my family, I guess David didn't think I was moving fast enough. And so he stepped in and asked Rebecca to marry him. <laughs> um, so that, that, was, that was quite an experience. But there's, there's another story that just that stands out to me. I, I remember one time I took David out for ice cream. And I don't think I mentioned this in my article. I, I think I put it in a paper I wrote for Dr. Mowish. But we were on our way home. And I was feeling particularly goofy that night. And so I started just, for some reason, using like an Italian accent, telling David to stop spilling like chocolate ice cream in my car. And he thought that was hilarious. And for years after that, I get a little emotional um, talking about this. He, he like will bring that up when meeting new people. And if I'm honest, like sometimes when that would happen, it would be sort of a non sequitur for what was happening in conversation. But it was relatively recently that I realized like, he valued relationship just as much as I do. And so in the same way that I might tell someone about, hey, there's this really funny time that my wife did something and I want to share this with you. He was doing that with other people. And so as I've reflected upon what it means to be human, it's deeply relational. It's like we, especially coming out of the um, Enlightenment period, have long in the church emphasized and elevated the intellect and reason as something that is defining about our human experience, and while that's definitely a part of it, it, you can't reduce it to that. And so, kind of incorporating like his baptism there, there was a point in time where we realized like David can't articulate in the same way that many people can his need for a savior. He like if you asked him, hey David, what does it mean to sin? He might mention that like when he yells at his sister because uh, you know they bicker like any other siblings do, but he wouldn't be able to give you an articulate comprehensive understanding of the atonement. But you can tell you that he loves Jesus. And so recognizing that, we mentioned it to the church that David's never been baptized, but he's been around for 23, 24 years at the time. And so there's a really sweet moment where um, my sister had also come to a point of faith, and so she was baptized. Um, because as I mentioned, we grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. And uh, so the video is this really cool moment. It's all of David's friends and family gathering around the baptistry and him entering the waters and uh, the minister asking him, you know, 
David, do you, do you love Jesus and do you accept him as your Lord and Savior? And him just looking up at the minister and nodding, yes, sir, and uh, him being baptized and then coming up with a whole bunch of like exuberant tears from families and friends. And it was it was really cool because while his faith has always had always been there, that was like his formal entrance into the church. James, as you know, uh, the listeners of this podcast tend to be pretty serious church people, pastors, eager lay people, pastors in training. And I bet by now a lot of them are wondering, so what would James say we ought to be doing better uh, when it comes to incorporating people with disabilities into the lives of our congregations? Any practical advice for them based on your own experience? Yeah, so again, because um, disability is so broad and so wide, I mean, I I used to work for a nonprofit here in Birmingham um, that worked with individuals with special needs. And I remember the first time I heard someone say, you know, if you've met someone with autism, You've met someone with autism. Like it is, people with autism are individually unique. People with Down syndrome are individually unique. So it's hard to give like a blanket. Yes, this is this is the thing that you should be doing to better incorporate people. However, in light of that, I think serious lay people and clergy who really want to incorporate uh, individuals with special needs or disabilities into their community need to adopt um, a posture of curiosity and um, be willing to take the initiative because so often families uh, who have members with special needs or a disability often have to be on the offensive of explaining and justifying their way of being, their very existence. And so it's a breath of fresh air when a family has a minister come to them and be like, hey, we're really excited you're here. We want to learn more about you. What what is David able to do? What does he like? Like we know he's, he's a member of this body, so he has gifts. Like what, what is he interested in and how can he, how, how can we help him serve here? How can we serve you? There's a, a give and take here where um, I think a danger can be even in churches that do acknowledge people with disabilities in their, in their congregations can fall in the trap of infanticizing them and making them objects of charity. So they do a really good job of relieving some of the pressures and the difficulties of living in the world with a disability, but they make it very one-sided and don't recognize that these people have vocations as well. And so if you can take that initiative and recognize that from the beginning, that they are human, they are incorporate members in the body of Christ, and then be curious, just be willing to go in and like say, hey, tell me about your experience. What's this been like? How has this been difficult? What have been some of the joys how do you want to get involved? Like it, I think that can be the springboard to really figure out the unique ways each individual can be incorporated. But it just requires that kind of initiative and that curiosity to begin to have the conversation with these people. Rebecca, we want to turn to you for a few moments. Uh, you were one of several alumni who I interviewed for the article, uh, for the magazine, excuse me, um, to help us think about how this theme impacts the ministry that we do with people. And we specifically wanted to interview alumni who are working with people whom society might devalue. And so I wonder if you could share with our listeners, especially ones who haven't read your interview yet, about what your work with the Crisis Center looks like pre-COVID-19, which is when I interviewed you. And um, so who who have you worked with? What are their basic needs and what does your ministry look like there? 
Yeah, so pre-COVID, um, I was hired on as the mobile unit counselor. Um, it was a completely new program for the Birmingham Crisis Center, and the mobile unit is an RV that was equipped to, and is still equipped, um, to provide medical examinations, um, both what we would call acute sexual assault nurse examinations, and then also follow-up. So it is created to be for sexual assault survivors. So we have the medical aspect, which I do not do. I'm not a nurse. Um, but I do the counseling for sexual assault survivors and what we would call secondary survivors, um, people who are close to a sexual assault survivor. So it could be family member, friend, partner, who also is struggling after the assault to support the survivor. And it was created by the Birmingham Crisis Center really to reach the needs of rural survivors so people in Blunt, Jefferson, Walker, and St. Clair counties, people who we serve at the Birmingham Crisis Center with our rape response program, but because those places can be up 10 hour away or more, aren't able to take advantage of things like counseling or also to get free medical follow-up. Because in the state of Alabama, if you are sexually assaulted, you only have 72 hours to report to get that exam. Um, if you're outside that window, one, a lot of prosecutors won't accept the evidence, but then two, you would need to go to the hospital to get your follow-up and they have to pay. We're able to offer that for free um, so people don't have barriers to get help after such a traumatic event. Well, a crucial ministry. We wonder if we can get you to reflect on it for our people uh, theologically a little bit, just by saying a word or two about how it is that you are Christian, biblical, theological understanding of what it means to be human has to do with your work, how it shaped your ministry uh, to the people you serve. And then maybe on the other hand, how has your experience doing this kind of ministry shaped the way you think about what it means to be human? Yeah, so my faith is integral into the work I do. I don't work for a Christian organization, but I also don't think I could or would do the work I'm doing if it weren't for my faith. First and foremost, I mean, yesterday in the church calendar was Ascension Sunday. It's a Sunday where we remember Christ who bears the scars from going to the cross um, and continues to bear those scars, has ascended to the throne. So not only can he suffer with people, but he is the one who is able to actually give justice to people who are suffering. So many times survivors do not get justice from the legal system. We see that day in and day out in the work we do. We hope and sometimes we see, but a lot of the times we don't. And then also to be human, I really see to be human is to be in relationship, as James said. Um, it is something that is given to us by God who has created us. And in that, we see in the garden that man is not meant to be alone. He and she are meant to be in relationship with God. They're meant to be in relationship with one another. They're meant to be in right relationship with themselves, and they're meant to be in right relationship with creation. So that also informs the work I do. Trauma is an experience of powerlessness. Trauma is something that does, that rips apart relationship, especially sexual trauma. I um, mean, something that when it happens, not only impacts your mind, your way of thinking, but impacts your body. Survivors may have difficulty 
um, not just with sexual intimacy, but they may have higher startle responses. And so recognizing that God has created us as integrated beings, that I cannot separate my emotion from my intellect from my body um, has been especially crucial in the work I do. And then the work I do has informed my faith, one, by just re-emphasizing that. In the interview, I said, I can't be a Gnostic. <laughs> I see how important our body is into how we move in the world. Um, and we're seeing that in COVID of like, we are on Zoom. The way we're relating here is very different than the way that we relate one person. But it also, I interact with people who have have experienced something that no one should go through. Um, and then post-COVID, I'm also working on the crisis and suicide line. So I get the honor, but also the burden of interacting with people who are suffering immensely. And so I have really, my work has informed just the great empathy and the great kindness and power of God. Because there are times where I'm like, I'm at the end of my rope of giving of myself or feeling like I can enter into this person's pain because I go from one person's pain to another. And I've been amazed by the fact that God does that more and more deeply than I do. And he does that with each person. And so I think that should make me need God more, but also just be more in awe of God. Rebecca, um, I think about our listeners uh, as Doug has already said, who are church people, many of them who are pastors, how does your work inform or form uh, just your ministry as a deacon in the church? And what would you like to say to churches and pastors and elders about the humanity of sexual assault survivors or even the people that you are ministering to in light of COVID-19? One of the calls, like when you're ordained as a deacon in our church, the call of a deacon is to interpret the hopes and the hurts of the world to the church, and then to be the church in the midst of the world. That's one of the reasons I love being a deacon, because it's like, this is what the church needs. The church can't be the church without doing that. And so I get a unique perspective. But we also, I mean, we have seen in the past few years, the reckoning the church is going through with sexual assault survivors. Um, the abuse that churches have perpetrated or been participants in by covering up and not believing survivors. And I think one, one thing that churches and leaders can do is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I think a lot of the times people, especially pastors and leaders in the church, rush to speaking, rush to what they would call preaching, but they don't actually sit in the midst of pain. So how can you preach when you don't know your people? And just statistics would show survivors, there's about one in four women who've experienced sexual abuse, about one in six men. So knowing that in your congregation, there are people who either have or are currently experiencing abuse and are going through great pain. Um, and then I think also, I see it in my work every day, and I think um, a good reminder is, are we practicing as, again, I'm an Anglican, but I love my Luther. Um, are we practicing a theology of the cross? 
are we recognizing it is Christ who does the work, or are we practicing a theology of glory? Are we trying to be the Messiah? Because at the end of the day, we can't. I can't be everything to everyone, and neither can a pastor. But he's created, it works so well with James's teach, um, a body with different gifts and abilities. So being able to sit and listen, recognizing limitations, um, for example, a lot of pastors don't have training in mental health, so giving that to a professional to do while continuing to provide the pastoral care and recognizing the gifts in your congregation to minister to survivors and knowing it's not just your job as a pastor, but a community to create a space where people who've experienced great pain can actually feel safe. Kristen made a brief reference at the end of her last question to um what we've learned during the COVID crisis. And I'd, I'd love to draw out, Rebecca, just a little bit more on that. If, if you've got anything to say that would be edifying to our listeners about uh, how your experience as a minister in the gospel in the midst of the COVID uh, pandemic has shaped the way you think, maybe especially about what it means to be human, but other things too. And then I want to draw James in as well, because he serves as a chaplain at UAB and he's a spiritual first responder uh, in the midst of the COVID crisis. So it doesn't matter to me what order we go in, but would you mind uh, just telling us a little bit about what your experience has been like and if there's any great insights about what it means to be human that have emerged from that experience during the COVID season, we'd love to hear it. Um, so part, I kind of mentioned it earlier, so I am still providing telehealth with survivors, but they also have me assisting with our crisis and suicide lines. So I'm getting a wider berth. Um, of the pain that people are experiencing right now. And then as a social worker and a therapist, something that really guides my view of what it means to be human is called attachment theory, um, which is that we as humans, our worldview is shaped by the relationship we have with our primary caregiver, but it can be shaped throughout your life. Um, but it just shows that there is such a great need to be connected, that actually the relationships that we engage in matter. Um, and that also that we see in kind of um, neurological studies um, that the physical presence of someone matters. Um, and we are, we're really seeing the impact of that during COVID. We're seeing one, I would say we're experiencing a mass trauma of powerlessness during all of this, but we're also experiencing something which really impacts our bodies, that we can't separate our intellect and our emotions, that God has actually created our bodies and our emotions as things to worship him and also to help us relate to him and know about ourselves. So we're seeing in COVID people who are having trouble sleeping, who are having increased depression and anxiety, a lot of people who are thinking about suicide, um, and some of that is coming from a break in relationship, a break of incarnational relationship and how much we need that. Even in the work I do and, and the trauma work I do, the physical presence is essential um, because we may work with someone whose physical response, having someone in the room who's a safe person and someone who can actually pick up on the physical cues that a person is demonstrating is important because those are actually impacting 
their feeling um, and their processing. So I think in this recognizing that one, as a pastor, as a leader, you're going through stress too, um, and that's coming out in your body and your emotions. And I know this phrase gets overused, but being gentle with yourself, because think of Christ, think of Christ who is that gentle shepherd, um, God who, who portrays himself as a mother hen trying to gather her young, a God who is kind to someone who is suffering. Remember that because Christ is that to you and Christ is that to the people who are suffering. Because I think that's what people need to know right now. Um, they really need to know that there is a God who suffers with them and a God who's over all of it. So I think that's something in COVID to remember um, for yourself, but also for your parishioners. Yeah, piggybacking off of that, um, similarly, the importance of incarnational relationship, um, you know, as she mentioned earlier, it's amazing what we can do with technology these days and being able to have this interview over um, video. But it's not the same thing as being in the same room gathered around, you know, a table with microphones. Similarly, pre-COVID, most of all of my visits were in the rooms with patients, being able to see them, to experience their bodily presence as they're suffering. And there's something, I mean, not to hype on the word incarnational, but there's a reason that God became man. Um, and this ability to be with someone and to suffer alongside them, even if you can't solve the problem, there, there's something unique and Christ-like about that. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, some of that's been cut off to some degree. The hospital more or less went on lockdown for a few weeks where outside of end-of-life situation, there are absolutely no visitors allowed. And they've recently loosened that a little bit. So certain patients are allowed to have at least like one visitor with them so long as that person wears a mask and stays by the bedside 24 hours. And, and seeing that, just the distinct difference between the dispositions of the family and the patients when no one was allowed and when now people are slowly being allowed back into the hospital. And you can even just sense the difference in the atmosphere being there. Uh, so I think that just, again, reveals more about the relational aspect of what it means to be human, and that means a physical element to that as well, of actually being present with somebody. One last comment, kind of wrapping it back into my article about uh, the special needs community. I think it's important to have these sort of conversations about what it means to be human because it directly impacts even things like triage. I remember reading an article that when um, hospitals were starting to be concerned that we would be overrun with uh, vast amounts of COVID patients, there were ethical questions that were coming up on like, well, who receives a ventilator if we don't have any? And I remember looking over an article where there was the possibility that those with lower mental capabilities would be lower on the list on receiving that. And that just speaks volumes to like what we actually value as a community. It's can you produce something? Can you, are, are you a tangible value to the society? And that's deeply disturbing. Um, so these questions on what does it really mean, like what is the essence of being a human actually mean, like affects every aspect of the fabric of our society. So it's, it's just important to continue to have these conversations. We, you are strong Christian people who love the Lord and love his church and love the word. Is there any last bit of encouragement that you would like to leave with our listeners? I think, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people have a lot of questions about where is God in this? What is God doing? And 
we don't completely know. Like we know God is sovereign, but in this time, recognizing that God is giving us, in some ways, a unique opportunity to rest um, and being able to find that and to find God's care that even when maybe you may feel so isolated and so alone, um, that Christ has not abandoned you. It can feel that way sometimes, but Christ is still there. And as his people, just, I mean, an encouragement and an exhortation, a reminder that there are people who are suffering in your church and you may not know. Um, Being able to ask the hard questions of, are you actually okay? Because we as Christians have the unique opportunity to see the presence of Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. So an encouragement that Christ is with you, with all of us. Praise God that he is in control and we are not because all of us, especially me, I'm struggling with a loss of control or an illusion of that. But God is in control, but also that God is very near in suffering. And so even when it's, we don't have kids, but I, my heart goes out to people with kids. When your kids are driving you mad and you don't have an outlet that God is both with your kids and with you or if you're a single person having to go through this without, you know, someone who could be your partner and to be your your helper, that Christ is your helper through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that it's okay to reach out for help, to reach out to your pastor. Maybe you don't, you struggle with trusting your pastor, reach out to someone in your church um, or to reach out to anyone so that you can get the care that you need because this is a hard time for all of us. Yeah, and I'd say um, when reaching out to people, it's okay not to have the answers. One of the most striking passages in all of Scripture for me is just Jesus wept and understanding the context around that, knowing that he knew he was on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead and yet saw death as something terrible and mourned it with Martha and Mary. We don't know what he's doing and why and how he's going to work out everything, but he's present in this moment and mourning and weeping with us. And that's significant. And so as you are the hands and feet of Christ to other people, it's okay to just weep with people and to not rush to any sort of cliche that may sound good in the moment, but actually does more harm than good. Wonderful pastoral wisdom. You have been listening to Rebecca and James Henderson, both alums of Eastern Divinity School who happen to be married to one another and both of whom are active in ministering the gospel in very crucial ways these days in the Birmingham area. Rebecca, again, is a mobile unit counselor for the Birmingham Crisis Center. James is a chaplain at UAB Hospital here in town. We are so grateful to both of you for being our brother and sister in Christ, uh, for representing the Lord so well, for your faithfulness in ministry, and even for being on the show with us uh, here today. Thanks to both of you. Thanks to all our listeners. Again, we are praying for you. We know many of you are suffering these days. Uh, we love you. We hope this show is a little bit of an encouragement to you. And we say to you goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast 
or on iTunes. 